2: And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Lewis Fertel.
3: And there's no one else here. It's just us.
2: Well, you know, it's our last episode of the year. So I figured we would give people just a Lewis and Ira moment.
3: A little peace and quiet for once. My God, all these extras running around yammering. <laughs> also i am realizing something is up with my throat so if i sound a little bit more lauren bacall than usual i apologize
2: or i'm you're welcome no i actually had a cold this weekend too so uh well the past two days so i think that my throat is getting my throat is getting over it been um sucking too much dick like nancy Reagan.
3: oh my god god also (laughs) i was so i mean i think we'll get into that but uh What a pleasing turn of events on social media. Rarely does it work out that much for everybody involved. Uh, But uh, (laughs) to learn about Nancy's early Hollywood extracurriculars on a mass scale. I mean, it was literally an, an education in old Hollywood for the entire Internet. And we, you know, we don't we don't get that luxury.
2: Well, I think I love it mostly because it started out from what was it? Ben Shapiro or Tucker Carlson's... Ben Shapiro's okay, sister. his sister. Uh, trying to do a tweet to slut-shame Madonna. Randomly, for no reason. It's just like a random photo of Madonna. Um, and then people started dragging Nancy Reagan. So Yeah,
3: the tweet was... Why look like this when you could look like this? Basically, and she, she used a picture of Madonna on Instagram. Which can you believe it? She's in like a leotard and with her Ava Max hair, you know, like sprawled <laughs> out on a on a on a bed, and she compared it next to R- Nancy Reagan at the same age, you know, looking like fucking Nancy Reagan, smiling through the AIDS crisis, and uh, uh, the internet responded with you're basically you're calling madonna trashy well nancy was the blowjob queen of hollywood and then referred to a passage that i believe is, is her name uh, kitty kelly the uh biographers uh one of her many books about old hollywood and uh yeah so nancy uh pole liquor
2: <laughs> it's just a reminder that you should not mess with madonna fans They, I mean, they mostly are dormant. They're mostly dormant, (laughs) and it was. I think someone had mentioned that if you, uh, if you didn't use that to um, compare them to her to Lady Gaga, Madonna fans are used to that, so they would have ignored it. It would have been perfectly innocuous, but they were activated,
3: right? And also the angle, of course, you could take as well. Let's talk about how they both responded to AIDS in the eighties and Madonna. You know, famously, one of the outspoken. I was, spoke, I was spoken about AIDS in the 80s and, you know, the Reagans less so, uh, rather famously. Uh, so we got to reference that angle, too. Yeah, as a Madonna fan, I, I, one, we've just been through it. I mean, we, we're we're rightfully shamed for certain things she has done. And so we've taken that hit several times. But you bring in someone like Nancy Reagan into the picture and, you know, the borderline uh, girls come out. Mm-hmm. B- borderline in personality perhaps
2: plus um nancy's um version of evita sucked so
3: oh god yeah and her yeah her version of uh bloodhounds of broadway shitty that's a madonna <laughs> movie no one talks about
2: she has a duet with jennifer gray uh, uh last night she dreamt of rock hudson dying <laughs> that's her version of la Ilah bonita uh <laughs> Anyway, this week, we're going to get into our favorite performances of the year.
3: Which, by the way, can be in any medium. I have chosen movies and TV, but music videos, that's available. Commercials, which some people still watch.
2: You got a commercial to talk about?
3: no uh uh the last one i can think of is carly clock's talking about wix where where wix.com is over her shoulder and she's like there it is wix.com pointing at it like that's how you interact with the internet
2: (laughs) (laughs) i actually think i do have a commercial oh really which one yeah well you gotta we gotta wait oh wow i'm being baited okay (laughs) uh and then we'll get into the thing that everyone on the internet is talking about uh And just like that.
3: Woof. I mean, actually, you know what? I didn't. We'll get into it. We'll get it. I'm excited.
2: (laughs) Plus, we'll be joined um, by Thomas Doherty from the new Gossip Girl reboot. And
3: we can talk about how this bastard looks so much like Frank Sinatra sometimes. It's weird.
2: Mm. Ronan Farrell better watch out. (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> <laughs> Someone's getting that inheritance He better
3: watch out period Because that bastard threw a party over the weekend And I fell off the guest list this year And it's on my mind So let's figure that out
2: mm, I picked another birthday party over Ronan's Anyway, sorry Ronan We'll be back with more people <laughs> And just like that I did not realize that we were going to hear the phrase and just like that so many fucking times in this show.
3: I kind of had forgotten that it was the name of the show, that it is referenced in all the materials, so Mm -hmm. I should have known that it would be a motif on the show. That said, it's one of those phrases where it's like all unimportant words, so I kind of would keep forgetting what the actual phrase is. There are movies like that from time to time where they're titled a certain way and you're like, I can't remember what the actual phrasing is because they mm-hmm. chose a
2: bunch of stupid words. And needless to say, there will be spoilers in this discussion of In Just Like That, the Sex in the City sequel series um, that just dropped on HBO last week. And um, the phrase really took me out of it at the end of the first episode when, shocker, Big died. Because... Uh, after-
3: After a very famous Peloton ride. Arguably the most famous Peloton ride of all time.
2: Sorry, Cody Rigsby. (laughs) It's all about Big now. Um, The phrase made me crack uh, during what was supposed to be a very emotional moment where Carrie is cradling Big on the bathroom floor because he's just had a heart attack. Uh, He's dying. And then you hear the voiceover, and just like that, Big died. Yeah. (laughs) As if that's how you
3: would talk about your husband dying. (laughs) And just like that, he's gone. Uh, Also, the way she is cradling him in that particular moment, there's already been a ton of talk on the internet about this, but she runs home from the stupidest recital that uh, one of Charlotte's kids puts on, where she is playing piano like... I mean, it's like Liberace level, the theatrics at this uh, concert. Anyway... Carrie gets home, sees Big on the floor mid heart attack, cradles him, doesn't call 911. People are wondering why didn't she call 911 immediately. Well, I'll tell you why. Because when she's sitting there holding Big, it looks like one of the stations of the cross. I thought I was looking at a stained glass window in a Catholic church.
2: <laughs> you know, HBO shows love their um they love their staging, okay? That's the best part of Succession.
3: Um, excuse me, the entire weekend, or pardon me, since that episode aired of Succession, is people pointing out stills of succession being like, throw this in the Louvre. Guys, shut up. I know you like Succession. Stop pretending it's a fucking masterwork in, ter- in terms of every still is like a, a stained glass window in a Catholic church.
2: <laughs> Resident Catholic Louis Vertel is, oh, yeah. is angry, angry, <laughs> <laughs> angry at the Catholic appropriation
3: franciscan nun Louis Fortel has uh, risen from his convent
2: uh anyway getting back into this series i don't think i like it well,
3: <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> complex
2: analysis
3: well can i tell you something i would argue that there i don't think there is a really a funny moment in the first two episodes which is what's out right now and as I just read and as I suspected what we're watching was what the third movie was supposed to be like, you know, big dying Carrie moving on from it. Um, And obviously no Samantha with no Kim Cattrall there. I actually forgive how bad it can be because I think the actresses remain amazing.
2: Yeah. I think they're really fucking great. um, Still after all these years. And I will say that the one part that was funny to me was um, Charlotte, sobbing so much at the beginning of the second episode while they were looking at funeral homes because she blamed herself for Big's death and then the funeral home director thinking that she was Big's wife and not Carrie because Carrie was so stoic Um, but I get you know the like wanting Carrie to move on uh, and like having to have Big die to sort of like usher her into a new phase of her life but it's it's just so weird in the sense that what now, like, are we going to jump ahead in the next episode? Because like, we're going to have to watch her try and date again and be easy breezy while also dealing with the love of her life's death. Mm hmm.
3: Yeah. But I will say in the first sex in the city movie, which is when she and big breakup mid wedding or whatever happens. And that was a, mostly a serious movie. Like eventually, you know, they go through that entire winter and she dyes her hair brown and stuff. Uh, I kind of liked foregoing the comedy a little bit because there's something about the four of them being able to get into really being there for each other and not having to like pop off about, you know, the weird thing a guy did in bed or whatever the conceit of the show was initially that felt a little deeper and more like real friends to me. Um, That said, you're right. I'm a little worried about where this show is going, especially since they're kind of like, making fun of the characters in a way that feels very Twitter in the past decade. Like Miranda all of a sudden is babbling at a black colleague about her, like in in a uh, white savior type way that would be apparent to anybody paying attention, even for two seconds. It felt, it felt very overwritten to me. Also not to say that Miranda wouldn't be like that in real life, but it just, it felt like, people who watch the original Sex in the City and are afraid of blowback about the show not being aware of white women having privilege or something. It felt very shoehorned into the original recipe, Sex in the City.
2: All these black women popping up in the show feels a little random. And I also want to point out that they did my sis, Nicole Ari Parker, dirty. Because <laughs> what, what black woman is walking up to a table in a restaurant and taking fries off of these white women's table <laughs> and eating it. And also that scene is so unhinged too, because it goes, it felt like a throwback to like the first season of sex in a city with uh, Carrie being like, Oh, I'm not going to tell if I ordered the fries or not. It's fucking French fries. Yeah, <laughs> Right.
3: Also I, another thing about Carrie that is bothering me. So she's of course a podcaster on this version. Uh, Jesus. you know, worst possible timeline, you know, whatever. And, uh, on the podcast, she's dealing, she, the two other personalities on it are way more like outspoken and making like sexual jokes, like they're comedians. And then Carrie is sitting there basically cringing at their, uh, honesty. And it's like, there's no way Carrie wrote a column about sex for years and years. And she's not heard things like this before. They, they made it seem like Carrie was brand new. To the idea of um, kind of being body in talking about sex, and her entire pun
2: universe is based on bodiness, so it didn't really that didn't really flow to me. Like she wouldn't have heard any of that from Samantha, at, right? At, right, at, her best friend. <laughs>
3: yes, right. At,
2: yeah. at eight in the morning over an omelet, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also, she wasn't just a sex columnist; she was a sex columnist in the nineties.
3: Right, so it's it's Eve Ensler times. So we're straight up using the word vagina and every other iteration thereof left and right.
2: Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of any of the podcasts and stuff. Sarah Ramirez's character is, is fucking weird, like <laughs> the puffing um, marijuana in the elevator. It's so wacky.
3: Yeah, yeah. She's given you, um, you know, Bugs Bunny. What's up, Doc? Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh and it all just feels weirdly unnatural because i feel like she probably would have already had a podcast yeah uh uh-huh at this point like the the newspaper or wherever she works at like someone would have urged carrie to be doing a podcast already and it seems she seems so uncomfortable doing it and it also seems like a radio show and not an actual podcast
3: correct yes and in fact if she had just a radio show that would sort of be fitting with Carrie being slightly stuck in the past. Um, but uh, uh, I want to say that, I mean, during these like devastating scenes, like her recovering from Big's death and stuff again, SJP. So brings it as an actress. And if you watch that show divorce, she did, you got a lot of sullenness there, but it, I truly think she is better here than she was there. Obviously that show was very strange and tonally, jumped from one extreme to another from week to week. Remember when Molly Shannon was on that weird casting choice
2: to get into the other elephant in the room, so to speak, or the elephant who isn't in the room, mm-hmm. the explanation for Samantha being gone is okay. I get like, like Kim control isn't back. So you right. have to find a way to write her out and you don't want to kill her, but God damn, She Carrie drops her as a client. And Samantha stops talking to them all and moves to London. Like, am I supposed to believe like Carrie was paying this bitch's bills? <laughs>
3: right. Right. <laughs> Samantha being clearly financially independent and also like always separating the personal from the professional on the show. Mm-hmm. Like she would never, I think, mix those two things up. Um, that said. I do. I, I, we had heard initially that they had just kind of drifted apart, and I found that really believable. That you know Samantha's life would just take her in one direction. They could have gone that way, but they specifically wanted to mourn the end of her their friendship on the show, like as it to make us all aware that she's not there. Um, so I would give it like a, a B minus in terms of a possible explanation. Also, I really wonder if Kim Cattrall will end up back on the show because if she if she does. I mean, that would be like the moment of the century. And HBO Max would, you know, have a reason to be.
2: Yeah. Uh, which also, I can never tell if, this sh- if any show is on HBO or HBO Max.
3: No, right. They're all the same to me as a, you know, I'm a millennial and uh, I love it that way.
2: Yeah. Except there are shows that are specifically HBO Max shows and not HBO ones. And I guess the difference is the HBO ones still air on cable. But right. who has mm-hmm. that anymore?
3: No, I don't know how to turn it on. Please. That TV is for Wheel of Fortune alone. Okay. I'm not looking for anything
2: else. Uh, With that said, I feel like I just don't have an idea what the show is going to be about. You know, I don't, I don't really, I I get it in terms of like Carrie, perhaps, uh, and Miranda. Sure. Uh,
3: And also Miranda is apparently an alcoholic, which is. A, a strange turn of events
2: Which I, I d- Which I do not like Because I also would have had to drink A bottle of wine at a Children's recital like that
3: <laughs> Right well I maybe, maybe it's telling us that Alcoholism is good and that we should all be Doing it
2: <laughs> uh, But I, I'm also hard pressed to Remember anything involving Charlotte's actual story In the past two episodes
3: No I don't I, Nothing was well. Actually, she she reacts to Big's death with like a a line of loud selfishness, and then also shows up at Carrie's place. Uh, and Carrie didn't invite her to hang out that particular day with Stanford and Miranda because Charlotte is too emotional. But on the on the show before this, on the actual HBO series, Carrie never would have done that to. Uh, 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 Charlotte. So I I don't know where this is coming from either. Again, I'm happy for these characters to evolve, but some of the choices they made for these characters feel so outsized and immature uh, that it sort of feels like you don't really know them anymore, or you're just watching all of the Twitter comments about these characters over the years being reacted to. You know, It doesn't feel like it's the creator's vision anymore. It feels like we're reacting to a reaction to these characters.
2: Yeah, you know, it feels like I would say that's probably my biggest critique of the show. It feels like it is a response to the response to Sex in the City rather than a continuation. Rather than Michael Patrick King had a, you know, like a long Bible for the series, and like these are mm-hmm. stories that he really wanted to tell um from the past. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like the staff too are like people who are continuing these stories. And it in a way. It reminds me of that, the really bad X Files reboot.
3: Uh, Which I forgot we got.
2: Yeah. Uh, Because that show, a couple like really good episodes, but it was all the original writers. And that one was different in the sense that um, it didn't feel like a response to the response to the X Files. Because one, it felt like um, white male writers from the 90s, like um, still writing some of the. uncomfortable stories that were writing before like i remember there was an awful episode like where um shangela like played like a trans character uh and there were like awful like there were awful like tropes and like the way that they discussed like trans people on the show um that just felt like old writers who didn't know what they were talking about um but It's the thing of seeing Mulder and Scully again in sort of like similar situations and imagining how they'd evolved and like seeing how they interacted. It just it just didn't feel real. Um, But maybe we'll find out in 20 years that we're still acting exactly the same.
3: There is a feeling about this show of the unreal. Like it's not settled. Like we're all not sure really why we're doing this, but we are continuing on. Also, I just want to say. Again, some of the outfit choices, which are now legendary at this point because bloggers blogged you know all this I mean like Carrie at some point looks like like a Native American countess. just some of the choices are so extreme, and I know people have a memory of the show as having wild fashion, but honestly, it was all of that moment, uh generally speaking. The choices here are not particularly for carrie
2: yeah and Miranda just looks like uh, a librarian.
3: Correct. Which I think they're like leaning into in a way. They Like there's a whole scene about how she goes gray and then Charlotte doesn't want to go gray. And actually that's one of my favorite lines in the whole thing when Charlotte says, uh, you don't mind that I'm... Sh- she makes a comment that Charlotte is offended that Miranda goes gray because it makes Charlotte look old, which I thought was a cool uh, take. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. um, and just like that... I think this conversation's come to an end.
3: And also, I, I, I hate like, how much TV review depends on just the first couple episodes. Again, maybe it'll like, springboard into something even more fabulous or something. We will, I will stay abreast of this situation and follow my social media to stay updated on my takes.
2: All right, Lewis.
3: Louis Vertel, <laughs> <laughs> girl reporter.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll discuss the rest of the episodes when we return to keep it next year.
3: Oh, this is our last episode. By that time, Steve Miranda's husband will be the president or something.
2: Uh, and I, I'm still wondering what they're going to do with. I'm still wondering what they're going to do with Stanford. Oh right, who we see in the first episode? Yeah. Uh, also,
3: Mario Cantone very funny. Enjoyed yeah. him on this. Uh, yeah, I wonder how they'll. There's going to be a lot
2: of death this season. Because I thought the funeral was going to be Stanford's. Oh, I see. I, I, I like I saw I could see something bad happening with the way that, you know, the the piano was being, you know, so like um, feverishly played. Uh, it was yes. like some, something bad's going to happen. And then I was like, well, Stanford in real life, he died, he passed away. So I, that's mm-hmm. what I was expecting. Um, so I was shocked that Big um, died. But, um, yeah, we'll see where this goes.
3: The feverish piano playing. If you've not seen the movie The Great Lie with Betty Davis and uh, Mary Astor, uh, that's what it reminded me of. And it, it feels like you suddenly have tripped into a wild 1940s movie. Anyway, go ahead.
2: Well, you know that I famously have said on this show that I hate things involving pianos.
3: Well, oh, that's right. Including the film The Piano, which is, you know, about one.
2: Yeah, Is
3: it? I mean, she plays the piano in it. There's a whole... She doesn't do much talking, so she's very expressive with the piano anyway.
2: Well, I'll never know. (laughs) When we're back, we're joined by Thomas Doherty from Gossip Girl. Another reboot on HBO Max. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. Our guest today has played Captain Hook's son and Helen Mirren's lover, but he's best known as one of the stars of the rebooted Gossip Girl. Please welcome Thomas Doherty. I guess you're best known as a person who I'm friends with, uh, more so than (laughs) I think about you being in Gossip Girl, but you are in that too. I am indeed. Thank you
1: guys for having me on. This is very exciting. (laughs)
2: Yeah,
3: I wrote. Actually, you know what? I didn't. I thought I was going to bring this up later, but we're actually going to talk about this now. Playing Helen Mirren's lover. I mean, first of all, Helen Mirren is puzzling me right now because she's about to host a Harry Potter trivia show that's on television. She just will pick the most random things. But I want to know how she is as a person to work with. I assume she's rad and funny. I mean, but I don't go where
1: the work is, you know, especially these times. (laughs) Um, Helen Mirren is she is so 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 chill she's so cool i mean i was obviously very nervous to like, work with a dame um and she's such an amazing actor but she's she was so chill i mean like I, I i never really got to speak to her until we were in bed and uh, doing a scene um and we were both just lying in there for a couple hours and yeah she she was just chatting away and she's super super humble very chill, really generous with like our energy and our advice and stuff. So yeah, it was fun.
3: I also—it's interesting that you were intimidated by her because I think among dames, she might be the least intimidating. So, but but if I were to act with her, I would probably be, <laughs> among a little dames.
0: Little
3: scared. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, like you know if i if i ran into whomever joan plowright i'm like woof. you know she's she's got some stories about Olivier. i'm gonna i'm or whomever like <laughs> most other like, is, is glenda jackson a dame those people are scary
2: i can't recall dames <laughs> off the top of my head
3: i was gonna
1: say i mean i can't i'm trying to think of other ones who's, who's
2: like judy, dench, judy should dench that'd
1: be scary yeah judy Dench should be scary D- can you be it- a dame if you're not british
3: I think there are occasions it's occurred, mm-hmm. but it's rare. I think Ira, Sean
2: Connery was, was a dame.
1: know you could be I the think next you Might dame. be wrong.
2: <laughs> I would actually love that um, sort of like journey for me, but I don't think people want <laughs> to hear me. I don't think people want to hear that accent. Not for me. Yeah.
1: It, it's, Ama- it's just imagine that doing accent. that in front of Maggie Smith. It's just yeah, the accent right. that's in your way of becoming a dame. <laughs>
0: anyway, i
2: I feel like um, I feel like playing your lover uh in a film is actually like one of the least wildest things that Helen Mirren has done. Because Lewis you know, she's been in like three Fast and the Furious movies at this point. Oh, true. So, anyway, she was um, in the
1: Fast and Furious movies. I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, yeah, you should watch. Mm-hmm. Them, I mean, Thomas, go where the right. work is. <laughs> <laughs> um. So let's get into Gossip Girl now. Had you seen the original Gossip Girl when you did this show?
1: So it was a, a weird one. I am um, people keep. I think I was I was a lot younger when it came out, and in Scotland I wasn't aware that it was a thing until maybe I was about twenty. Um, and it wasn't. I was filming in Georgia when I was about twenty-five in two thousand nineteen, and my girlfriend at the time. Started watching it probably for the 19th time, uh, and she'd come to like visit me and she'd, she'd have it on. And then when she'd leave, I'd keep watching it. And then maybe a couple months <laughs> later, I found out that I had this for this new gospel girl. So, I mean, don't know if you're into
2: manifestation or whatever, but I mean, it's pretty airtight to me. <laughs> <laughs> No, I I look. I'm very much into manifestation, as Lewis knows. I talk about um, Brene Brown on this podcast all the time.
3: Oh no, you don't, because guess that guess what I would do? Not be here. <laughs> but
2: um, you manifested this, and um, now you're on it, and now it's weirdly almost. It's not as big, I think, as like the original one, in the sense that like. You know, or is it? Are people like stalking you on the street, um, taking photos of you the way that I feel like they used to do with the original cast? Or is it just people sending in like tips of where they've seen you to Dumois?
1: Oh yeah, it's Dumois, <laughs> Jesus keeps me up at night. <laughs> 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 no, I think, yeah, I mean I think it is very different. It's not as as big. I I mean it's always gonna be hard when you're doing a reboot or a continuation of something it was so culturally iconic um but i think as well the the use sort of a better word the climate at the time of media it wasn't so saturated i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think was netflix and all these streamers so i mean when it came out on cw it was very much a case of Thursday night or whatever, gossip girls on, and then you watch it, and then you go into school the next day and talk about it with all your friends and all the rest of it. Nowadays, you can't. That's not really a thing. Um, and like I say, because it's so saturated, it's 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 a lot harder to to stick out and a lot harder to to last have that lasting effect because people's attention span is just so quick now. So yeah, it it definitely doesn't have that same impact as the original did um but that's not to say that it's not as good as i'm sure you guys will agree (laughs) um i mean it's it's very very different and again the climate of the world society is entirely different and uh, i think it's definitely it's a lot more conscious than than the original one and it's definitely taken an opportunity to to show a, a lot more many different kind of sections of society and represent a a load more people, which which I really love and really enjoy.
3: Do you have a favorite way in which the show departs from what the original was? Because when I watched The New Gossip Girl, I'm like, I guess actually thrilled that it doesn't remind me of the original in many key ways, because I also don't want to see that show again. Like, I think if I were watching something that reminded me exactly of what I had seen before, I would be like, why am I doing this? I remember the original just fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was amazing. I really, really enjoyed that Josh Safran kind of... He kept the Gossip Girl, obviously. I mean, it's 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 kind of hard to do because you don't want, like you say, you don't want it to be the original. You don't want it to just be a, a carbon copy. Uh, but at the same time, you you have to stay true to it in some regard. So by making The Teacher's Gossip Girl... Uh, I know that uh, people aren't great fans of it, but I thought that was a really, really clever idea, uh, and I really enjoy that. And it's yeah, a like smart
2: idea, people. but they are demented. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it's kind of it it's kind of weird. I mean, you have these like thirty-year-olds spying on kids and ruining their lives.
3: Which is what we do every week on this podcast. So actually, it's okay. I sh- this is the most relatable show on TV. No, I said, I said
1: thir- 30 year old.
0: <laughs> oh, this bitch! <laughs> oh my god!
2: Um, but actually, going into the thing I jo- <laughs> going to the thing I joked about earlier, though, um, I want to ask you though what it's like living, like being in New York and shooting, and then. There are actual, like, 30-year-olds spying on you because what is it like (laughs) just knowing that, like, anytime you go to lunch or dinner, like, it's going to pop up on, like, Demois, like, this Instagram account. I just, like, every time I look at it, it's always, like, they're tracking each of the um, Gossip Girl cast and, like, whatever you do. And it's almost just like the teacher stalking you on the show.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, there was a funny one the other day on Dumois. Someone sent me it. And it was a picture of me in Target because I just got back from filming in Budapest. And I'm just trying to like do up my apartment. Um, so we'll go to Target. It's great. And there was a picture of me with like on a trolley. And it was like tip and on. Just saw Thomas Doherty in Target. He looked exhausted. Was struggling to push the car. <laughs> 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 <That's super
3: nice>. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas already <laughs> had his final trip to Target before his untimely death. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's
1: it's 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 bizarre. I mean, I think it's just kind of weird, a weird place we are right now in the world. I mean, it's yeah. I I I don't know. I mean, it's not even right now in the world. It, it has. It's happened for decades now the kind of culture the pop uh, the celebrity culture and people's fascination with it and i think it's because they don't they don't view actors or people on tv as people i think because you're you're very like objectified you're almost like an object and maybe that's because of the characters or or whatever and and it's really weird because you have this object, but it's also in your living room every week and uh, so it feels intimate at the same time, so people I feel like might feel like they have a a right to i i I don't know but from my side of things it's it's bizarre, but again it kinda you kind of get used to it um and I'm kind of detached from the idea that people have of me because they're never gonna like know who I am if I walk past them in the street or I interact with them or if they've just seen me on t v that's not me, so I'm kind of detached from from the idea that they've projected onto me so i don't I don't really mind it
3: i mean the thing that I always comes to mind for me is when people are at a concert and everybody pulls out their phone, it's like, nobody yeah. wants to watch a weird <laughs> concert footage. Why are you doing this? And it's because people can't pass up an opportunity to have like something that might jump off uh, on social media. Like they can't pass it up. So it's like, do moi to me is like, one of the nastier iterations of that, where it's like, I saw someone do literally anything. I'm sorry, like going to Target is among the most mundane things a human being could do, but that's still like a coin they have, Yeah, you know, like they can't pass up having that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like when it's like new years and everyone just takes pictures of fireworks and then everyone posts
2: fireworks and I'm like, (laughs) I don't
1: fucking, I've seen, (laughs) I don't
2: care. (laughs) Uh, And in a way too, it feels like that, is a direct descendant of the original Gossip Girl. I mean, like, Jawad is basically, it's Gossip Girl for the Instagram. And now it's, it's weird where there is a Gossip Girl following people while also you're depicting it. Um...
3: Very scream four, yes. We're like outside and inside the Gossip Girl, like you know. Breaking it's an Ouroboros. Wall. It's eating itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> what do you What
1: do you guys think? What do you guys think about it? Because um, you guys must have watched the or grown up with the original. What do
3: you I guys did. Ira did. I, I I've only seen the first season. I mean, like I, I'm not like a, a a teen kind of um melodrama person. Much as I actually like the recent film work of Blake Lively.
2: I like Blake Lively's work, you know. That not not that backwards movie, but um, you know, the, <laughs>
3: well, by the one with not the, the rhythm section either. Yeah. She was like, oh, oh, well the, that, yeah. that that
2: that one's iconic. Uh and then can't for, can't forget Savages. <laughs> the Savages. Sorry. Oh, right. um Savages is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh I watched mm-hmm. the original, and the original for me is also it's it's just a, it's a weird place in my life because the original came out in two thousand seven, and that is the first year that I moved to New York after I finished uh, college. So I was living in New York for the entire duration of Gossip Girl, um, and then I went to NYU for grad school at that point. And the last season actually aired um, like my first year in LA. So for me, it just it feels like a time in my life uh, and revisiting it. And um, like, how does, how does Josh um, depict it to you, um, like, who he sees as the audience for this? Because the original Gossip Girl is for teenagers. So it's on the CW. But this one is on HBO Max. And so it is ostensibly for adults who grew up watching Gossip Girl, and then for younger people, too.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I nice know. I've not really had that conversation. I guess you just try and stay as truthful to, to what's written on the page and kind of take it from there. Um, but yeah, that people that do kind of approach you are a lot older. I was expecting a lot of a younger audience, but yeah, I mean, you're talking like late teens, early 20s, mid 20s, uh which was unusual. I wasn't really expecting that. But I feel like it's a little bit more um intense this time around. Like intense adult scene. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's definitely more intense, yeah, definitely. That's a nice yeah. way to put it. Adult. I'm going to write that down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the new gossip girl well it's adult (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I i will say that one thing i really love uh about you in the show is that um your character could be you know seen as just like a new version of chuck bass but i think that you put a lot of um like sort of unexpected emotion and comedy into it uh, and knowing you in real life, like you're a very funny person in general, but you're also like a very sweet person too. And I see that coming across in Max on the show.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's, I I was so, so conscious because I mean, you have such a kind of solid foundation um, of characters and character dynamics from the original and it's obviously been brought over to this one. And uh, so you have these like eight eight leads, eight lead characters. Um, and then obviously I fall into that kind of the Chuck role of it. So I you, you kind of have to indulge in that a little bit. Um, but I was so so conscious to 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 make it to make it like 2021 version of of Chuck. Um, because I mean, he is—he is very, very different, and I wanted to make him a lot, a lot lighter, a lot more, kind of mis—mysterious and cheeky, without being dark. Um, and yeah, hope I, hope I did that.
3: Okay. Well, here's a pressing concern: Have you been approached to play Frank Sinatra yet? Because, as as I'm sure you've been told throughout your life. It's disturbing that you look this much like Frank mean, It is the, the I mean, it's first like,
1: time I've ever heard that in my life.
3: No, you're, you must be absolutely kidding. It's like, uh, I don't know if you know the actor James Darcy, but he uh, always looked to me exactly like Anthony Perkins, and then he got to play Anthony Perkins finally in the movie Hitchcock. So anyway, you're talking about manifestations <laughs> now. There's no way this isn't going to happen, and I'm worried it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that would
1: be would a be, uh, big truth to film, but no, that'd be, that'd be really cool.
2: Well, they're letting Tom Holland play Frank Sinatra, so I think I think you got a chance. Tom Holland's playing Fred Frank Astaire.
1: Sinatra. Fred Astaire.
2: He's playing. Oh, wait, Fred Astaire. Astaire. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. well, there we go. Yeah. Okay, I was
3: wrong. Can he tap dance? No, you. Don't, l- l- uh, well, kind of. He did that lip sync battle once where he did Rihanna, and we called it tap dancing. So maybe he, I think no, he was in Billy Elliot, so he's got some. Oh yeah, he was was not he? Ability. I forgot
1: about that.
2: Yeah. My mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about Frank Sinatra is that. Um, I guess there's this um, deli that sells bread that like Frank Sinatra used to like. Uh, My friend Rob, who's uh, Italian and a writer in New York, told me about it, but it's this place where like when he wasn't living in New York, um, he would like have it frozen and sent to him like out in Los Angeles or Vegas or wherever he was. Um, So I would love to see you play Frank Sinatra um, and learn more about Italian bread. I don't know. <laughs> this is your uh, this is your chance to learn more about focaccia. I, I can imagine
1: yeah. imagine having that fuck you money. That's insane. Yeah,
2: yeah. To <laughs> order bread, what would you order from Scotland to remind you of home? If you could just like spend whatever you want.
1: I mean, I'm trying to forget. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't honestly. I mean, it's not like Scottish cuisine, but. I love Nando's. Have you have you guys heard of Nando's?
2: I love like Nando's. Portuguese, mm-hmm.
1: ch- how unbe- how is it not made it over to at least New York? It's yeah,
2: it's, it's I- only I- in it's in DC. Is it? They have it in DC. Um, there's I one in lo-
1: Vancouver as well.
2: I fucking love Nando's. Have mm-hmm. you heard of it, Louis? Okay,
1: we need to we need to blue sky yes? this
2: idea. Bring it yeah. over. Nando's is uh <laughs> Nando's is like this chicken joint, uh which is like in the UK and it's um it had like a big sort of like social media like um moment in like 2015 um but it's just like it it they have this great peri peri chicken sauce um which is like the Nando sauce and i just always think about it because um if you remember the show looking um there was a whole plot line on it about creating peri peri chicken and selling it in San Francisco. Oh. And it's basically... Oh, that's why I heard that. it's basically named yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Got so. it. Mm.
3: No, wait. Before we let you go, do you have a single favorite Scottish celebrity?
1: Um,
2: do you? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to Google Scottish celebrities, and Google is is out of its mind. It's just, it's just a Scottish people. Ewan McGregor, Craig Ferguson, Gordon Ramsay, Annie Lennox, Nicole Kidman, <laughs> Courtney Cox, <laughs> Rob Kardashian, <laughs> Mini Driver, Alicia Silverstone. I don't know if I believe this.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's a small country, but we're trying.
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for being here, Thomas.
1: Oh, thank you guys for having me. Honestly, I'm, uh, I'll finish off my Dunkin' Donuts and head back into
3: the wilderness. Now. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. That's what a pleasure. Well,
1: goodbye.
2: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Well, the year is over, so as is Culture Podcast Law, we're going to do a year in review segment where we're picking our favorite performances of the year. I feel
3: like Gene Siskel. I feel like Gene Shalit. All the genes of yore. Gene Parmesan. Mm, Gene Smart. Yeah. Gene uh, Arthur. That's an old movie star people could stand to revisit. Gene Arthur is a sleigh. Look up her work.
2: Okay.
3: Um <laughs> Okay.
2: I'll definitely do that right after this podcast round. Um, I mean, before we get into our list, I I feel like you just you just mentioned Gene Smart, and I think that um everyone would agree that Gene Smart had a year.
3: Correct. Though I think I would Root for uh, if I had to put Gene Smart on this list, I would put her maybe in Mayor of East Town over Hacks. I know people like are obsessed with Hacks and she's great on Hacks. I just and Mayor of East Town has too. way less to do, but d- just that mom character, somehow one of the very grounding parts of that show. I would, I mean, if I had to, Kate Winslet is one of my top performances that actually was on my list. We can get into her specifically because man, I don't know what that show would be without that performance. She really is doing a lot with silence in a way that I've not seen on like a TV serial in for a, a long time. Uh, I also didn't know. I and we know that you know love she that it in her famously. But, <laughs> yes.
2: Famously. Lewis loves Watch- a series with a woman thinking.
3: That's all I want. Is she driving a car and looking out her window? Not doing shit. Love it. Something's <laughs> going on in the noggin. I want to see that. Uh, yeah, I, and I, was, I rooted for Kate Winslet in a villain-like way over uh, Anya Taylor-Joy because some people are too young to win Emmys, and Anya Taylor-Joy is one of them. Mm, like when fair. Zendaya won that Emmy, I'm like, now you have nowhere to go.
2: Uh, well, Oscar?
3: But that, she's e too quickly, and then what? Then you're Rita Moreno E-gotting by 45, and then we like don't know what to do with you.
2: Mm, we'll, st- we'll stick her in a porky and bass. <laughs> 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 actually there i think there is a porky and best playing right now um at any rate i loved i loved kate winslet and that and i would actually agree that um i would put gene smart's performance in where of east town like just slightly above her hat's performance uh because i thought it was um i don't know I, I, it was some it was something different from kate winslet
3: yeah, right. Well, also Kate Winslet, like the the high priestess of bad movie-making decisions over the past decade. Look at her filmography. You're like, "What the fuck is The Mountain Between Us? What the fuck is Labor Day? What is Men, Women and Children?" Like all the or one of those I know she's not in. I anyways, dubious Oh, Wonder Wheel, and then she finally has this moment where she's as good as she was in my other in my favorite Kate Winslet movie, which is Little Children.
2: Mm. I think my favorite um Played, You're an eternal sunshine queen, I know it. I I I am an inter- I am an eternal sunshine girl, you know? Uh I th- I well, at least until Avatar 2 and 3 come out. I'm sure those will be my favorite Kate Winslet movies.
3: <laughs> Is she in that?
2: She's in Avatar. Oh my god. Uh Also,
3: I mean literally we've been talking about Avatar 2 for something like 7 years now, right? It's becoming that Guns and Roses album that did eventually come out.
2: Allegedly, Avatar 2 is supposed to be coming out next Christmas.
3: I'm so overwhelmed by that. I literally want to throw my head down because, you know, they're going to push it back. Mm. And we'll have the same conversation one year from now.
2: (laughs) Um, Lewis is going to love who I'm picking first.
3: Oh, here we go. Hit me.
2: WandaVision oh no but i'm going with elizabeth olsen okay great well she's wonderful right yes yes i mean listen i think that katherine Hahn is very great in the series but i do think that the um there was a, a bit of an obsession with katherine Hahn in this series that did not match what the character agatha delivered
3: okay yes also i know this is my, my least favorite term that always pops up on Twitter, gatekeeping. But when the gays fell out for Katherine Hahn, they're like, I'm obsessed with Katherine Hahn. I've always been obsessed with Katherine Hahn. Me with my opera glasses leaning over being like, name three Catherine Hahn movies. Go. And they, ne- and they never could. You know why? Because people don't know how to be real fans on Twitter. They just want attention for liking something even for five seconds.
2: Okay. Well, I could say I love dick. Of course.
3: No, I'm not I'm not saying you don't know shit. I'm talking about everybody else. Yeah. And Anchorman. No, I wouldn't say that. That's one of the few movies I've ever <laughs> seen where I wanted to walk out of it. And like and ask for a refund. Like, you like hate a new with our poodle. Yeah. Oh God. I'm feeling bad for Christina Applegate the whole time. Yeah. Weirdly, something uh notable about my mom is there was a, t- a prompt I saw online recently asking people what celebrities do your parents irrationally hate and my mom's disdain for Will Ferrell is so specific and comes up kind of often um
2: is it because of like all the somewhat misogynistic jokes in Anchorman
3: well we definitely did see uh wedding crashers in which he has an extended cameo and that ruined my mom's life mm. uh but uh, additional i think it's just the loud thing the uh my my, my i th- i feel like My parents come from, like, an era of, like, drollness. Like, watching, like, you know, Basil rathbone kind of Sherlock Holmes is, like, Mm -hmm. the speed at which they do things. So when you have a guy just hoarsely yelling, that, like, doesn't do shit for them.
2: That's fair. Uh, I also want to say shout-out to uh, Catherine Han fans who've been riding with her since Crossing Jordan.
3: Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about, Crossing Jordan. Also, I just saw Catherine Han in the Jimmy Kimmel-produced live in front of a studio audience where she played uh Joe Palmachek, the Nancy McKeon character on the facts of life. This woman looked exactly like Nancy McKeon as in Nancy McKeon. Then I, I was, I sat there blown away. I had to do behind the scenes work. And so I got to sit there and clutch my face, like the painting, the scream and watch, uh, uh, Catherine Hahn bring attitude to the part. She was so funny on it. Actually, everybody was funny. Yeah. Uh, it was nice to see Jennifer Aniston doing sitcoms again.
2: Anyway, I fucking love Catherine Han. Uh, I thought she was great in WandaVision, but I, will also, but I will say that Elizabeth Olsen was so good in it and so just um, bringing like a new death to the character of Wanda Maximoff. And I thought that um, that was until the ending uh, where it was just, you know, rock'em, sock'em, robots uh yeah. i really loved how it made a blueprint for how like marvel series could you know go ahead in the future uh um, yeah but, plumb know, like, the depths yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know being something different than what we've gotten on film you know and presenting that to us um but- i've been a
3: fan of her since martha marcy may marlene which is one of the Weird, like very memorably unsettling movies, and also one of my least favorite Sarah Paulson performances. That woman usually does not mess up. I did not love her in that movie. I actually, haven't anyway.
2: seen that movie. Too many white women's names in it. <laughs> Just in the I, title. I'm, <laughs> I don't want to. Mar- I don't want to spend time with a Mar- with a Martha, and a Marcy, <laughs> and a Maylene.
3: <laughs> it's well, it's Marlene. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but also there, Martha. I think runs black martha reeves come on martha and Mm. the vandellas okay
2: marlene it's the bad (laughs) this bad way of spelling marlena like from days of our lives marlene the only person i know named marlene is the creator of pretty little liars Mm. and she's a terrorist <laughs> so who's your next That's It's a performer? show I would oh yeah. Okay. But awesome. I am
3: going to say, and I brought this up in recent weeks, but I'm gonna revisit it now. Ruth Nega in passing is my favorite movie performance of the year. Have you seen Passing or not? What
2: you call me? <laughs> I love doing that bit.
3: <laughs> Why is it funny to me every time? As if as if I stood here and shouted it at you.
2: Yeah. Um <coughs> I enjoyed I enjoyed passing. Enjoyed passing.
3: Oh so. my god, this performance! So, if you don't know the the original book, which is from the 20s, uh, Nella Larson's book, uh, this movie is directed by Rebecca Hall, whose own mother, I think by her own admission, she said uh, passed herself as what because she was, uh, half she was a singer and she was half, uh, or, or quarter black, part black, and it's the story of uh, Tessa Townsend. Yeah, okay, right. A word I would never say, moving right along. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Tessa Thompson's character, who's, you know, a black woman, reuniting with this woman she once knew who is now passing as white and, you know, uh, urbane society. And Ruth's performance is so... she It's, like, very performed, like her... Um, the lilt of her dialogue, the way she, like, sets her chin as she's talking. Everything is very, like on point and presentational and the artifice is so entrancing in a way that it would have to be if people were going to believe she was, you know, a white woman. Um, but also then immediately tragic too. And you realize that her story is strange. Her husband is awful and a particular kind of odious white man played of course, by Alexander Skarsgård, who is here to play the odious white man. Um, she's so, so good. And now I'm hearing she may not even get an Oscar nomination because this movie is like falling off people's radar. I think it is by far my favorite movie performance of the year. So far, I am a little behind. I haven't seen West side story. I haven't seen don't look up, which I feel like I'm going to hate, but uh, there's a couple I have yet to see. Uh, uh, There's only one other performance I've seen in theaters this year that I thought was thrilling too. And we'll get to that in a second. Ira, is there a movie performance you're particularly obsessed with?
2: Yes, um, you know I have seen um West Side Story. I would say that I really liked Ariana Debose, and I really like Mike Feist in it, who plays Riff, uh, because that is a role that is um, you get you you expect you know uh, Anita to be um uh, you know a powerhouse a dynamite yeah you know right. mm-hmm. um, and I really do enjoy her and uh, that, but I just like sorry you know to give accolades to a white man but um (laughs) there's something about this riff that breathed new life into a character that I've seen on stage for years that I've seen in the original film um and he just felt so real he felt so real and he felt so tragic um and I, I thought that mike's singing was beautiful i think that the this version of cool you know between him and ansel is much more powerful than the cool that was in the original film it's just a really really surprising performance from a character that um is it just always sort of been there and not one of the most important characters yeah right Uh, right, and it was a fucking showcase and um yeah he was amazing
3: Um, What I have seen, though, is being the Ricardos. Guys, I mean, I'm sure I've had a specific keep it to Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball in the past, even though I am in no way at all a Nicole Kidman doubter. I thought in this movie she fucking slayed. And now I will be mad if someone like Kristen Stewart takes the top prize at the Oscars because Nicole Kidman brought the hard edged. Businesswoman lucy to the proceedings and i think what the movie does really well because there are i am i'm not a sorkin person i feel like almost all of his famous movie monologues feel like large print facebook memes that like your uncles pass around about how like society's falling apart i usually well, my hate favorite
2: it. aaron sorkin monologue is his defense of jeremy strong that he forced that. that he forced jessica chastain to post because he's not on twitter
3: Okay, we gotta get into that in a second. But uh, uh, Nicole Kidman in this movie, in addition to Javier Bardem and uh, who plays Desi Arnaz and Nina Arianda as Vivian Vance and J.K. Simmons as uh, William Frawley, they—it's like they're all. What I love about this movie is the believability of how they are hardened showbiz vets. I feel like people, they're. They're familiar icons on, uh, they're familiar television icons, but what they, I just thought the depth of their experience and their ability to rely on each other and their ability to be pissed off and knowing each other's professionalism and disappointed in each other's professionalism was so well realized. Uh, But we got to get into this Aaron Sorkin thing really quickly because, so Jessica Chastain posted on her Twitter a letter, a missive from... Aaron Sorkin talking about how that famous Jeremy Strong profile that we talked about last week by Michael Shulman was quote-unquote one-sided. Meanwhile, it's a profile. I don't know how many sides you're supposed to give something like that. Aaron Sorkin (laughs) in this letter showed all of the email responses he gave to the author of of the article. And I guess the point was he said nice things about Jeremy Strong, but to me, looking at it, it was like, oh, you're saying the writer used your quotes fairly? Like it was, tr- it was supposed to be shady towards the journalist. Meanwhile, I'm so happy. We got a long profile that wasn't entirely glowing of a, a well-known TV celebrity that like sort of let the uh, reader decide for himself what to think. I guess it's a little snarky, but again, what's wrong with that? I don't know. And now people watch Jeremy strong on Sus- succession last week and are like whatever process he needs to do. I hope he keeps doing it. He was amazing.
2: Uh um- I'm absolutely shocked that the creator of the newsroom doesn't know anything about journalism.
3: <laughs> oh my God. And a clip from that show was circulating last week, the one where they're on the plane and they find out Osama bin Laden Osama Laden's bin Laden killed. died. Oh my God. Maybe you, if the, you don't know this clip, continue not to know it.
2: Maybe the worst thing I've ever seen on television. And I kept watching Power Rangers into um Dino Force. <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow, I love how that's top of
2: mind for you.
3: Immediately you knew what show was the worst.
2: Um, I have another movie performance. Okay. And that is uh, my queen, Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers.
3: I have not seen this shit yet, and I as a rational human being, of course, stand Penelope Cruz.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love Pedro Almodovar, um, is I think probably my favorite film director and, um, Penelope is so fucking good. I mean, she's like one of his like, um, muses at this point. Uh, and I love the fact that, you know, Penelope decided that like, she was done making, um, flop American movies and was like, I'm just going to go make shit in my own language. Yeah, right. And yeah, some you're of the right. best performances of her career. Like this is this is really really fucking good here. And it's just um there's so much subtlety in her face uh in this film cuz you know like um Almodovar comes from that um School of cinema, you know, inspired by you know like Cirque and the um, classic melodramas, and it's all about like a close up on the face, you know, and like um, showing how someone's color reacting to something. Yeah, and there's so much of that here. Like there's there's one scene particularly um, where she is um, in bed um, with um, one of the other characters, and it's just she's, she doesn't really speak. In the scene, like, she reacts with her face the entire time, and it's um, moving. Oh, I'm, I'm so psyched to see it. I'm still... Something I'm not over with Penelope Cruz is during
3: her Oscar speech for um, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, so that would have been in 2009 uh, for a 2008 film. She, in her speech, specifically thanks Pedro, who, of course, has nothing to do with that uh, movie, and she says, Thank you for taking me on your adventures. That's so sweet, I can't get over how uh, specific and telling that is about their relationship. That basically he's intertwined with the reason she makes films, period.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like, shout out to um, winning for a Woody Allen film, um, but then using that opportunity to thank Pedro (laughs) Almodovar. Yeah, right. (laughs) Cleverly done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I also love that she and like Antonio like once presented him with – his Oscar, um, one of the one of the times he won, uh, and I just I just love looking back on old clips like that uh, because it just reminds you of how like the Oscars. I miss the Oscars actually. Um, I feel like <laughs> you now. Uh, I love how um, they'll try to like um, anticipate like a moment, you know, like yeah, um, right. like Penelope and Antonio presenting the award for best foreign language film in the hopes that it was Pedro who won. Uh, right, and right. then when he does, they're so fucking excited for him. Like that's what I love about the Oscars. That's
3: it's it's like when uh, Martin Scorsese finally won the Best Director Oscar, and like George Lucas and uh, Steven Spielberg got to present it. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, anyway, I miss the Oscars. Bring back cinema
3: I, I, because the Golden Globes. Back, so. The
2: Golden Globes are going to be in a basement somewhere.
3: Well- <laughs> when those nominations came out i like forgot that they were still allowed to exist i felt like i was reading like banned literature
2: we haven't even bothered to talk about the golden globe nominations cuz i'm like all right I'll, right I'll find out who won in a i'll find out who won it in a tweet
3: yeah right they're going to print them out on like a denny's placemat or something
2: <laughs> um okay i did tell you that there was a commercial coming oh my god and um i don't know if you saw the commercial from the post office in norway no R- there, and i have
3: to be honest rarely do i think about that
2: okay there is a commercial uh it's basically a four minute video and it's called when harry met santa and it's basically like this uh gay man who um it, it like doesn't have a partner uh, and it's told over like several Christmases in the four minutes. It's like Santa, like he accidentally catches Santa one year while Santa's delivering a gift. Um, and then Santa comes back, um, and each year and they sort of like have conversations and laugh with each other and like play board games and shit. Um, wow. This then, is like same time
3: next year. Ellen Burstyn, 1978. <laughs> Go ahead.
2: But then he's like really sad, you know, cause he can't spend that much time with Santa. Um, because he has presents to deliver. Um, right. And then one year, um, not to spoil it, but it's like one year um, Santa hires um, the post office to deliver presents um, so that he can spend more time with them. Oh him. my gosh. And they actually kiss. And when I tell you this, <laughs> what is wrong? When with I you? tell you this commercial <laughs> made me sob. It made me sob. <laughs> it's beautiful. I would love to see it as a full feature length film, to be honest. Uh, and it's um,
3: it's like Zola too. It's yeah. it's
2: it's it's also beautiful because it's um, it's you know it's for um post in Norge. Uh I pronounced that incorrectly, uh, probably, but that is the the post office in Norway. It was also in celebration of the fact that it was um the 50th anniversary since Norway decriminalized um, homosexuality.
3: Wow. All right. I mean, that's better than the shit we've got going here. It is
2: gorgeous. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous commercial. And it made me sob. And honestly, two of the best things I've seen this year are commercials. What's the other thing? I think you know what the other one is. A commercial? Heartbreak feels good in a place like this.
3: A place this. like this. Oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> Nicole Kidman in being Kevin. the Ricardos? No, Nicole Kidman in the AMC Movies commercial.
3: <laughs> okay, the underrated thing about that, not only so, Nicole Kidman has her big speech she gives in her gray JCPenney pinstripes uh, about h- how the movies mean everything to her, fine enough. The craziest thing about that commercial is she walks up to the theater and flips off a hood. Like, what? <laughs>
2: She's like Master Shredder. It makes no sense. And she's sitting in the theater by herself, which is actually very realistic because when I went to see, um, my friend Joe and I want to see "Let There Be Carnage," and it was not even. It was the second to last showing at like the AMC at the Grove. When mm-hmm. we walked out of the AMC, there was not a single employee anywhere.
3: Oh, I love that feeling of, we've abandoned you. Uh, Whatever. (laughs) Don't don't rob us. Please leave. They take their break
2: until we're done. Yeah. (laughs) But um, that has really become like a moment online. And like I love that I get to see it before every fucking movie now.
3: No, it's just amazing watching her be entranced by the film Wonder Woman or creed like she's looking up at the screen like god has appeared on earth
2: jurassic world 2 is one of them
3: (laughs) imagine her watching that
2: well i i always think i always think about something like that and then i remember that celebrities you know do have kids uh and so then i sometimes think about the fact that like the people who have kids have watched some of the dumbest movies ever you know it's like nicole kidman could probably be like i've seen the shark's tail 20 times just because a (laughs) child like wants to watch it you know
3: right if sunday rose has shitty taste i'm not going to recover from that though so i need i need to see i need to see nicole kidman watching whatever power of the uh, dog or something more fitting for her
2: my parents got to see me watch jingle all the way every day out even outside of christmas i would watch that movie every day for like a year and a half
3: I just want to be clear that Jingle All the Way came out when we were like 12 years old. So something is the matter with you.
2: It's it's a good film.
3: Okay. that's See, I knew there was something. In it <laughs> and, and,
2: and what's up is your brain. Yeah. All right. Well, we're back. Keep it. And we're back. For our favorite segment of the episode, it is keep it, Lewis. It's just us. All right,
3: short and sweet, or maybe even longer than usual. Who's to say? <laughs> um,
2: why don't we go with yours? Because I feel like it's it's something that's going to. I already know what your keep it is, and I know it's going to drive me crazy. So,
3: okay, good. Well, we'll start there. Uh, my keep it is to all Christmas music made after nineteen eighty. Uh, let me explain. Now, obviously, it's Mariah season. I think she's number two on Billboard again with All I Want for Christmas is You. That's fine. I need to hear something when I walk into Rite Aid, and if it's that, great. <laughs> um, I can get into a little Whitney Houston. Do you hear what I hear? Um, there are a few exceptions to this rule, I guess.
2: Last Christmas by Wham! is 1984.
3: I, I literally don't want to hear it. I'll tell you what Christmas music needs to, for me a little bit of darkness. I need to hear the Bing Crosby like bourbon, bourbon equality, the melancholy, the Rocky relationship with your kids. I need to hear people who in their low register sound like a vampire. So this can be anywhere, anywhere from Bing Crosby actually to Frank Sinatra to uh, Karen Carpenter is maybe the last of these people where there's something, and this is a, a, and this is a word I hate using in reference to music. It's so overused. Haunting about them. Christmas music has to transport you to the past. Um, it has to transport me to like, you know, a kinder, gentler America, which brings me to my next point. Christmas is a little MAGA. It's a little, it's a little bit about didn't things used to be better once upon a time when we were all nice to each other? And it just means, you know, white people. Um, anyway, uh, uh I really enjoy just the timelessness of someone like Perry Como, someone like Nat King Cole, you know, people who have that quality that's both sweet and bone chilling in the clarity of their voice. And I feel like we just don't have singers like that anymore. Like I think of someone like Michael Bublé, who's the resident new Christmas singer, and he has the soul of Flat Stanley.
2: So it just doesn't (laughs) play
3: the way I want it to. Um,
2: okay you know i i will agree. Okay. i will i listen i will agree that i love throwback christmas music i mean i could put on um a christmas gift for you from phil Spector anytime mm. you know yes uh i i love you know like elvis actually even has a good christmas album um yes
3: i will say this elvis a, a good singer in this genre though something about elvis in particular always sounds a little bit like he's kidding Like, that's really your voice? That's
2: really what... Like, that's... Okay, that's your instrument. All right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The Beach Boys have a good Christmas album, too. Oh, fuck yes. I love
3: the Beach Boys. I love Beach Boys Christmas music.
2: Uh, I weirdly haven't been listening to that much Christmas music this year, and I'm usually a person who turns it on before Thanksgiving.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, I've had to remind myself to do it because in LA you have to remind yourself it's christmas it looks you outside right now it could be
2: march 24th you know uh, and i didn't do a tree this year because i'm going to be um, gone for christmas um so i never decorate for christmas it's too much work yeah i did it last year um it was like my very first like christmas tree um you know like as an adult um my roommate and i decorated it put uh, like getting all the ornaments and then getting the lights and then putting things together, and then, like, the shedding that happened from the tree. I was like, what the fuck do we do this shit? I'm not doing no. that ever again. <laughs> no, especially
3: if there's no kids involved or whatever. I just feel like all gay, specifically with gay men, whatever. If you own a house and you're going to throw a party, okay, great. Like, I'll contribute to your fun to decorate the house,
2: but it's not going to be mine. <laughs> um, alright. wrote. what is your keep it? My keep it this week goes to time magazine oh that's where time
3: magazine is where i go to stay up to date on all the latest claritin ads
2: (laughs) um time magazine named elon musk their person of the year uh and people are upset about it and I'm upset only because I can't believe that we still care about who Time's person of the year is. <laughs> That's a good take. I agree. You know, yeah. it's – um, you see – like, there's nothing – there's nothing like Time doing their person of the year. Like, I think when they made it Trump one year too. two, uh, there's nothing people love doing more than these long threads about, like, The essential workers or like um, the cop who, you know, defended the Capitol um, during the insurrection or like Amazon workers. Like people love to soapbox in response to the time person of the year by pointing out people who should actually be um, highlighted. And I'm like, that's great. Um, But it's also stupid, you know, because it's it's
3: also not the point. Like Hitler has been person of the year. And, um, you know, it's rare that they pick like someone who is purely virtuous as, mm-hmm. you know, person of the air.
2: Yeah, because it's never about, um yes, yeah, never about virtuosity. It's about, you know, what... It's about how much that person mattered in the year just in terms of, like, the discourse, you know? And mm-hmm. I would... I actually don't know if I would have picked Elon Musk because I didn't find him to be that incredibly important in any discourse this year. Um, no, right. But... It is, once again, a magazine, you know, like knowing that like people are going to talk about Elon Musk, that people are going to drag him online. Uh, and it's it's just giving more attention and traction to Elon being person of the year. And it's just going to reward time making decisions like that each year.
3: Mm hmm. Uh, I mean, like usually they just give it to whoever was elected president, you know, like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris got it last year. Um, I actually, I hate time person of the year when they pick cute answers, for instance, when they're like, you are the person of the year or <laughs> the, the computer. It's like not a person. I don't know what the statement is here. Now that you're deciding that a computer can compete in this pageant. Um, but, uh, no, I, 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 I wish they would stick to their guns and just pick, you know, there, I mean, there's some really weird, uh, choices in the past. Wallace Simpson, the year of the Edward, the eighth, uh, situation in the 30s uh i think angela merkel that, that meant great like was she the person of the year i don't know so it's a
2: strange and winding pantheon mm-hmm. charles Lindenberg was man of the year also known as charles lindberg <laughs> oh <laughs> wait was it was it the Lindenberg baby L-
3: nope Lindbergh. it's his baby oh
2: it's been lind it's been Lindbergh the whole time yeah, girl. Well, maybe that's why I haven't been able to find that baby. <laughs> your Google search has been all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I might, have seen, you, skills, I might have seen the baby. detective skills? I might have seen the baby and called it Lindenberg, <laughs> And the baby was like, that's not my name. And kept walking. <laughs> <laughs> Who would bio you? Biopic we need.
3: <laughs> I, I, Ira bungling the Lindbergh baby
2: case. <laughs> Who would you have named your person of the year?
3: Oh gosh, Uh maybe Fauci. Kind of basic. I'm sure he's in there like runner ups pageant or whatever.
2: Yeah, Greta was was in 2019. Re- remember her? Right. Yeah. Is she in school she or something? Attitude. Is she is she away <laughs> at college? I haven't heard from Miss Thunberg in a minute. <laughs> She's in detention right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Um. Oh they release. they didn't release a short list this year, by the way, so we don't oh. so we don't know who the other people possibly in the running would have been
3: oh, so i it could be Aida <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> When is is she coming back to keep it? They're wondering well, Lewis, she's back january fourth we
3: many listeners are confused and think she has lost a time or. We're, we've banned her from the studio or something. And to be honest, when she does tweet the one thing that sets us off, I we can't be held responsible for what occurs. But she is still on the show and she will be back January 4th.
2: This is just like one of the weirder um, conspiracy theories I've seen online only because it's very clear from her Instagram that she is in Miami shooting a television show.
3: The clues are there. <laughs> And you, as a detective, for now a hundred years.
2: No, um, but yeah, she'll be back um, when we kick off season five of. Ke- Can you believe we've been doing this for?
3: Uh, it'll it'll be, we started in twenty eighteen, so it's four years since we started, but it's our fifth year. Jesus, we're like the, the Big Bang motherfucking Theory up in here.
2: I would love it if this show were just like the Big Bang Theory.
3: I would not. I don't know why you would say that. Bazinga. <laughs> <laughs> i do want more catchphrases i do think i should have one i guess sometimes i say moving on that's my catchphrase
2: you say moving on you say uh um, guileless i say that a guileless lot. you do say guileless a lot yeah so mm-hmm. no let's 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 uh let's come up with a catchphrase for you next year
3: okay good we'll we'll put some on the whiteboard and sure. maybe maybe put it to a vote who knows keep
2: it was the last catchphrase i ever came up with and i don't want to do it again how did bart simpson do it so much? i
3: know right?
2: Anyway, uh, have a good end of year, everybody. Thanks for listening to Keep It for four years. Jesus Christ.
3: Sorry for what we've put you through and that you keep coming back for more. In a way, it's on you.
2: And um, I'm sure we've got plenty more surprises in store for next year. I love when people say something like that. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Like we're the gong show. You have no idea who's coming out next. Uh, It'll be the same damn show you've been listening (laughs) to. Uh, We'll see you on January 4th.
3: keep it is a crooked media production our senior producer is kendra james our producer is caroline Rustin, and our associate producer is brian Semmel. our executive producer is ira madison III. but i lewis Fertel, do a good job too our audio engineers are charlotte landis and kyle seglin and the show is mixed and edited by charlotte landis thank you to our digital team matt de groot nar malconian and milo kim for production support every week